Hey, everybody. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. I'm Lori Rudiman. Today's guest is Joey Price. He's the founder of a company called Jumpstart HR and the host of the Business Life and Coffee podcast, which is a weekly entrepreneur mentorship podcast. Joey's company focuses on creating effective HR systems for small businesses and startups across the country. And he also serves on the advisory committee of the Forbes School of Business and Technology's Human Resources Degree Program. Joey Price is a thought leader in the very best sense of the word. He has thoughts. I like him. He's a smart guy. And he's pretty easy to talk to. In today's conversation, we talk about work and life and a little bit about the coronavirus, but mostly what it's like to be human and get through this crazy period of time. I know you're no longer driving to your job and sitting in a long commute. So wherever you are, on the sofa, an easy chair, maybe even in your bed, I hope you sit back, take it easy, and enjoy this conversation with Joey Price. Well, Joey, you wanted to come on the podcast today to talk about, you know, HR and small business and coronavirus and remote teams. But, you know, I think the best podcasts are human. And one of the things I realized is that we've never had like, a true, honest, real conversation, like of anything of more than like, <laughs> like a couple of seconds. So I don't know anything about your true backstory. Like, what are you all about? Like, what's your favorite food? <laughs> I know some of the sports teams you like from the internet, but like, yeah. who are you? What are you all about? Well, so it's hard to talk about some of my favorite foods now because of everything that's going on. And I don't feel as comfortable going and getting them. But we're a big Chipotle family. Pizza is good. I do love Southern cuisine too. So mac and cheese, sweet potatoes and yams. There is a difference between the two. And I like sushi as well. So I have a pretty diverse food palette. Yeah, it sounds like it. Wait, were you raised in the South? Is that how you like Southern food or is it just like a family staple? A little bit of both. So anytime someone asks me where I'm from, I always kind of figure out, well, how am I going to answer this? Because my dad was in the Air Force. So I was born in Texas and we were there for a while. And then we moved to Germany. So I lived in Germany for five years. And then my dad retired and we grew up in Maryland, which some people consider the South, some people don't. It's one of those gray area kind of things, depending on who you're talking to. But yeah, my mom is from, from Arkansas. So got a lot of Southern roots The South still has these old tendencies. And I think Maryland is one of those weird states where you have pockets of like urban life, and then you've got really rural areas. And I think we're seeing some of that divide come up with the coronavirus right now. Yeah. Especially in my state, like people in the city part are taking it seriously, but people out in the rural areas think it's a conspiracy. I don't know. What's life like in Maryland? Well, you're right. It's similar to North Carolina where everyone's trying to play nicely, right? No one wants to be the kid in the city that holds us back from recess because we're not playing along well. And then when you get to the outer skirts of the cities, it's almost like I-95 runs right through the middle of Maryland. And that's where the core cities are. And then you go east and west. And there's a bit more of that rugged individualism. Where it's like, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to play in the parks. I'm going to go hike. I'm going to have cookouts with 20 people. But we need to all come together, not only as Americans, but just as good human beings who care about one another and flatten the curves, stop the spread, keep ourselves healthy, keep our family members healthy. We've got to do our part. 
Well, from your lips to God's ears, man, you call it rugged individualism. I just call it stupidity, right? I call it like I see it. But we do, I think, as leaders, as individuals, have to recognize that there are going to be some people who play nicely right now and some people who are difficult, whether they're our neighbors or they're part of the workforce. So I wonder what you're hearing as an HR leader, as someone who's like a thought leader in our industry. How are people behaving? What do they think? What do they feel like? Where's your head professionally in all of this? Yeah. So every single day I'm having a check-in with my team just to encourage them as a small business. You know, you just never know when and if a client is going to pull the rug from under you. And definitely with what I'm reading in seeing, you never know if the government's really going to pull through with some of those benefits that they've been offering or have promised to offer. So every day is just kind of checking in with, hey, how are you doing? Are you feeling confident today? What are your thoughts? So that's internally. And then from a customer perspective, it's kind of twofold. On one hand, it's like, there's money, there's opportunity. Where? How? What do we do? And then on the other hand, though, you're having those serious conversations of, I don't think we're going to make payroll this month and we have to have some hard conversations. And so it's really going on both ends and having those strategic war room calls about, hey, how do we walk through furloughs and pay cuts? And then on the other hand, it's like, how do I feed people the right information that they need, the latest information that they need to take advantage of the opportunities that have at least been promised that we can rely on? So every day it's bipolar, it's both ends of the spectrum. And I think that's just a testament to even how we can feel, you know, from moment to moment, fear, optimism, and everything in between. Every day I wake up and I feel like we're one day closer to a vaccine, one day closer to a cure, one day closer to flattening the curve. But in the midst of it all, it's still scary, you know, but we've got to feel the fear and and do it anyway. Well, I love your perspective on this because you've so nicely carved out a role for you as like a thought leader, right? You have your opinions on the world of work and what's happening in the world, really. And then you've got an opinion as a business owner, a small business owner, working with other clients, right? Trying to figure out the lay of the land. But there's this third perspective I think we don't recognize still enough. And that's our perspective as human beings. So you said you have an infant at home, right? And you've got your parents at home and you've just got this community that you live in. And I worry that we're not recognizing the humanness still enough in our workforce and even in our leaders, right? The fear, the anxiety. And while we're superficially talking about it, I don't think we're being honest about it. What do you think about all that? Well, Laura, first of all, I appreciate you going there in this conversation But every day I have this word that I think about and it's like calculated risk. Every time you go to the grocery store, it's a calculated risk of, are you putting yourself in harm's way? Calculated risk of going to a restaurant and getting takeout or ordering from an app. And the calculated risk of, can something happen to your food or you get something along the supply chain of it from restaurant to your mouth? The calculated risk of dropping off supplies to my parents, you know, and how long do I stay? How close do I get? Can I lean in for a hug? You know, all of that stuff I do have to think about. And it's very much attention to manage of wanting to be a provider for my family and wanting to do what I can to help people. But then at the same time, it's like hospital workers are very much on the front lines and my hat goes out to them. But also each and every one of us are on the front lines of this virus that we didn't ask for because it has a very real possibility of crossing our front door or getting in our car or getting in a handshake. So it's not that I'm 
as fearful, although that ebbs and flows, but definitely the idea of calculated risk is something very real to me. And it's like yesterday is like, I'm not going to go to Wendy's today. I looked through the drive-thru. seems to be a lot of people there. Let me just go get something that was already packaged or better yet, let me eat at home. Right. So it's those little conversations that I'm having with myself in real time about, do I want to take this risk? Because the impact of it could be so huge for, for myself and for my family. Well, I can see how that weighs on your mind. It weighs on, I think, all of our minds. And one of the things that I've been doing is trying not to go out at all because my husband is an essential worker. And so I'm afraid of accidentally introducing something not only into our home, but into his workforce. And so I've got this weird mindset where I'm always thinking about risk like you, but I don't want to bring that to my clients. I don't want to bring that to, you know, potential people who might work with me. So I'm wearing multiple hats and it's getting a little cumbersome at times. And so I appreciate an opportunity to talk to you honestly about how I feel and how you feel because it just makes me feel like, all right, this is human. (laughs) You know, this is normal. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think people will connect to this episode on a human level because people are going to say, oh, that's what I've been thinking. That's the that's the phrase that I've been trying to put a finger on or that directly describes how I feel. So again, you know, I think this will be a healing conversation for people. So thanks for even going there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been thinking a little bit about your comment about the benefits that the federal government has promised and may or may not come through with and even state governments who are trying to sort out who's qualified for unemployment and who isn't. I'm of this opinion that big companies are going to be okay. And the workers at big companies, for the most part, corporate professionals, people in management positions, they're going to be just fine. But I'm worried about the small business or even the business that's medium sized and has been around for 10 years, but still isn't necessarily where it needs to be with cash flow. What do you think about when you think about businesses that aren't large pharmaceutical companies or large tech companies? What do you think the future holds for them? Well, hopefully as many businesses endure this storm as possible and live to see another day, it would be naive to think that all will make it. But the optimist in me says that even if some don't continue in this iteration, you know, that scrappy entrepreneur is going to grab themselves by the boots and build something else again. And it may be faster, better, stronger. But really, this pandemic is showing that as much as we, you know, look down on people who make the $15 an hour and are very much in need of benefits and assistance and a helping hand, a lot of our small businesses are essentially living paycheck to paycheck or invoice to invoice or month to month. And it takes an event like this to really shed light on that. And I think that more businesses will be more financially savvy, uh, maybe get a pulse on their numbers a little bit better, maybe take their employees less for granted and say, hey, you play a part in, you know, paying my child's college tuition or that vacation that I took, you know, it's because of the team that worked hard. So I think that on the other end of this, we'll have a more human connection with one another and not just across the board from peer to peer, but even top down as leader to employee, because no CEO is going to make it out of this without the people that agreed to show up to work with them. That's well said right there. I mean, I'm thinking about all of these CEOs for years who kind of talked about the importance of the employee experience, or they were told that that was important, but never really made good on the promise to their workforce. And I think now, boy, if you're not thinking about your workers, people are going to remember. Consumers are going to remember. I don't know. What do you think about that? 
No, I 100% agree. I mean, because you've got to think about the fact that if and when you do make it through this trial, there is going to be a level of trauma that people remember from this moment and how you attempted to alleviate that trauma or be a listening ear or even just say, hey, I value you. That's going to matter. And then especially if your organization is in a pretty vulnerable position right now, there are organizations out there that are hiring. And so people may feel like they need to jump ship and go to an organization that's in a better position. So we often, I'm sure you're similar in that HR thought leaders are like, oh yeah, companies don't really value their people. It's not, you know, it's just a slogan, right? But really you're going to see that your people are your most valuable asset. And whether you choose to treat them well or not is going to dictate, you know, the kind of people that stick around and the success of your business in this storm and after it. You know, what I think you're talking about is a reckoning. And I've even seen it from some consultant friends of mine whose businesses have completely gone under. So they've taken the initiative and have applied for unemployment. And one of my friends told me that the statement around unemployment is, are you willing to give up your consulting or self-employment in order to take a full-time job? And they have to say yes in order to qualify for unemployment. And there's a real question there like, am I willing to do this? What am I willing to do for my family, right? We're all exploring the nature of work right now. And, you know, I hope we emerge from this crisis with, I think, a better and more savvy understanding of what it means to go to work every day. But Joey, what I really fear is that people are going to get desperate and they're going to take whatever work they can get however terrible that job may be, even if the job has meaning and has purpose, but they don't enjoy it or the company isn't great and they're going to do what they need to do for their families. And we're going to be in this prolonged period of sacrifice and we're not going to make any gains on all the good work that we've done in the past 10 years on employee experience, on inclusion, on belonging. I'm afraid all of that goes out the window and people need to feed their children. So you think my pessimism and my fear is warranted? I mean, you're such an optimist. I love it. But I'm really scared that we're entering some dark times. Well, I think that optimism does need to pivot. The conversation around employee experience does need to pivot. I do agree that people will be taking jobs that they don't like that they don't enjoy, that may be a a total 180 from what they were doing. However, I think from a leadership perspective, if you're talking to the CEO or you're talking to the C-suite that employs those people that have made the pivot, I do think you still have a responsibility to make that workplace as enjoyable or as value add or as meaningful as possible because it's a business mandate in my perception of it. Because if it's not an enjoyable place, people will walk in and leave. And so there's a saying that people vote with their feet. And so people may initially sign up to work with your business because they have to. But what happens when there's another opportunity across the street or in the economy that we live in now? What happens when there's an opportunity that they can log into from across the country? You know, there's still going to be, if not the war for talent, the war to keep your talent. And you need to be aware of that. So optimist or not, you still can't be a crappy employer. (laughs) 
Oh, man, I hope not. (laughs) I'm glad to hear your perspective on that. One of the things that I've been seeing are these memes around what's really transformed the workplace, the HR department, the CFO, the CTO, or COVID, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and especially around digital transformation, it has been the coronavirus that has really driven all of this transformation. So I wonder what you see from a small to medium-sized business perspective around digital transformation, work from home. I mean, clearly... These things are happening, but are they good? Are they healthy? Are they helpful? And are they here to stay? Yes. So right now, I think the change that we're seeing, I I really believe that we've accelerated digital transformation in the past three weeks more than we have in the past 10 years. I think from businesses to churches to fitness instructors, a lot of people who would have never swore to take their operations mobile or digital, they're now doing so. And it's more out of sake of survival. So I don't know how much of this will last long term. However, I don't think we're going to be as gun shy to make digital transformations in our business that are long lasting. So I think that there's part of it that's long term. Some of it is temporary. But I do love the innovation that I'm seeing to companies with the remote happy hours or, hey, drop that backdrop in and share your favorite place to vacation. I think it's attempting to make a human experience in the midst of this uh, digital transformation. And that part is good. I think that people are grasping at, hey, how can we still connect with one another, even though I can't reach out and, and shake your hand? You know, so those are just my thoughts. But the workforce will not look the way that it did before COVID. Well, wait, what do you mean by that specifically? Because I hope it doesn't look the way it looked before COVID, right? Because we still had hierarchies. We still had old-timey performance management systems and employee surveillance where we wanted people to clock in and clock out at specific times who are professional workers, by the way, and exempt from overtime, but we still manage them like they were children. So... I'm hoping COVID really loosens some of this, right? The grasp employers had around their employees. I hope that changes, but what what do you think? Well, so one of the things I'm thinking about now, um, thinking long-term about the workforce is how every generation is defined by the crisis that they experience, right? So we have the World War II generation, we have the Gulf War generation, we have the September 11 generation. We now have the COVID-19 generation. And so whatever that looks like long-term, people are going to remember, again, the trauma that they experienced from that time and some of the things that, gosh, why weren't we more prepared for this? Or why didn't we take steps to make the workforce better before this or even in the midst of it? And so I don't know if that's more near-term or or longer-term, but we're definitely going to be seeing books written about the COVID generation and people who either grew up in it or were frontline workers and then became managers. And they said, when I start my company or when I get in charge, we're going to do things different. I don't quite have a finger on that, but I do think COVID has changed the people. Well said, well said. It reminds me of a blog post I just read by Seth Godin, and he called it like, this is not his thing, but he called it Generation C, Gen C. And he talked a little bit about how it's not just coronavirus, but it's also the carbon footprint of work that people are going to think about in the future. I've been driving around Raleigh, and it's one of the fastest growing cities in America. We have terrible congestion. And as I drive around very infrequently, but I've driven around a little bit, there's no traffic. It is like night and day compared to two and a half weeks ago. And I wonder what it's like in Baltimore and if you see a difference during formerly peak times. Yeah, so 
Based on the CISA guidelines, a lot of the work that we do is essential. And you can imagine having a 15-month-old at home, it's a lot easier for me to come into the office and be productive than to, to be at home. So I am actually at my office right now. And I can tell you, walking out to lunch, there's no one on the street which is not good for those restaurants that rely on foot traffic and et cetera. However, from an environmental standpoint, I agree. Baltimore, I think we've got this, this harbor that uh, Mr. Trash Will is picking out trash. I don't think it's going to be safe enough to swim in yet, but I think his efforts are going to be a lot <laughs> accelerated because there's just not as much motion and commotion and opportunity for people to further destroy nature. But to your point, I did see those articles about Venice and how in Italy, my wife and I were there in 2018, but in Italy, dolphins are swimming in the canals and fish and the water's clear because there's not as much boat traffic. So if there is a silver lining of what's happening with us staying at home, it's that nature's getting a chance to refresh, replenish, freshen up a little bit for however short term that may be. But gosh, there's that. But then also, and sorry if this is like ranty or rabbit traily. No, this is what my podcast is all about. Come on, man. <laughs> so I was thinking, right, Baltimore, we have a reputation for rats, right? And so I fear that with a lot of businesses being dormant and people not checking in, what happens when cities have to fight the fact that critters are running around and, and have more free reign. Um, I'm, la I'm laughing so hard because <laughs> I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Like it could be a movie, right? When raccoons yeah. take over, rats take over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the Ninja Turtles are out in the subway right now in New York because it's finally safe for them to go and not get caught. No, I'm just, I'm just playing, but. Oh, I love it. Well, I hate to interrupt, but I have to tell you, you know, Venice is cleaner, but I read a follow-up article and the dolphin thing was a hoax. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> well, I'm there sorry, you go. I'm sorry. Oh, go. I hate that. <laughs> That's cool. Mythbusters. It's so, it's so funny. I believed edition. it too. Like I wanted to believe it, you know, like I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Nature is fighting back and maybe coronavirus has a purpose. And then it's like, no, somebody photoshopped or video in inserted them in there. I'm like, oh, it's figures. But you know what? I think there's potential, right? Let's get those dolphins back into Venice. That's the way I feel about it. <laughs> there's, there's probably some snarky marine biologist that's like, there aren't even dolphins anywhere in a 500 mile radius. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know enough about dolphins or Venice, yeah. but I love the idea. I love it. Well, my friend, when I think about you and your brand, I mean, you've got such deep expertise in the world of small business and entrepreneurship. And I just wonder if there's anything you'd like to leave with our audience today, anything that you're thinking about that they should think about or any other comments that you want to make? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, again, I want to thank you, Lord, for having me on the show and really just having an opportunity to connect. So I would extend that invitation to anyone that's listening if they want to further connect with me, see the work that we're doing with remote HR and working with small businesses and startups. Check out our website. I'm typically on Twitter liking everything that Lori says. So I'm not that hard to find there. And really, if you are a small business leader listening to this show, or you know someone that's a small business leader, it's okay to feel the range of emotions that you're going to feel. It's okay to have conversations with your staff, or even if you're a solopreneur. But Ultimately, I think we can know that we will get through this. I don't know what it will look like for everyone, but we will get through this. And if it does 
not go the way that you would like it to, I know that there will be an opportunity to dig in and try again. So shout out to every entrepreneur who started with a dream and I'm rooting for you. And if you need small business support, we've got plenty of free resources and consultative stuff on the site. So here to help serve first, and then we'll see what happens. Well, Joey, we'll make sure to have all of that information in our show notes. And I just want to thank you for being on the right side of history with all of this. And Really, you don't give up. I'm betting on you to emerge from this as well and to, you know, pretty much take over the world. I think you're on that track. So if I had five bucks and I could bet on you, I would. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully a more reliable bet than dolphins in Venice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my friend. Thanks again for being a guest. Yes, of course. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joey Price. If you want to find out more about Joey or get some of the resources from this episode, head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash punkrockhr-103. Punk Rock HR is produced by Danny Osmond and his team at Emerald City Productions. I can't do it without him. I'm really grateful. Thanks a lot, Danny, for all your hard work. If you have feedback on this episode or you just want to tell us how to make the podcast twice as good, you can find me on social media everywhere at L Rudiman. Now that's all for today and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.